Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Today's interview is an honest, raw, and unedited conversation between two guys who are both not strangers to battling and treating chronic depression. My guest today is Michael Thomas. He is the creator and host of the Five Things Tech series, as well as the director of business development for the startup company Bebop Technology. And Michael is also a two-time guest to the show. And if you want to listen to our first interview, I will make sure to put a link in the show notes. Now, Michael is on the show today to talk about mental health and depression because he himself, like me, has been fighting a lifelong battle with depression and mental health issues. Recently, after an extended hiatus from his Five Things YouTube series, Michael posted a video where he was incredibly honest and open about his most recent battles with depression and burnout, which were caused by both sudden deaths in his family, compounded with a major career change. Now, after watching that video that he posted, and I have a link to it in the show notes and I have it embedded in the show post as well, I immediately reached out to Michael because he clearly understands the importance of being open and honest when it comes to mental health challenges. So few people are willing to share their struggles with mental health, which paradoxically is probably the reason why talking about mental health is still so taboo even today. If you work a creative career, it's often a very solitary endeavor. You're alone for hours, days, and weeks at a time, and it's probably in a small dark room. It is so easy to get sucked into the trap of believing if you're dealing with mental health issues that it's just you because everybody else around you, well, they seem to have it all figured out. Well, my hope is that after listening to our conversation today, you're going to understand that it's not only not just you, it's all of us. Now, if you are inspired to take away just a single thing, one thing from today's conversation, I want it to be that we are battling this together. And if you feel overwhelmed, it is truly okay to ask somebody for help. 
Okay, without further ado, my interview with Michael Kamas. I'm here today with Michael Kamas, who is the creator and host of the Five Things Tech Series, and he's also the Director of Business Development at Bebop Technology. And on top of that, he's also a returning guest to the show, which very few people can actually put on their resume. So, Michael, welcome back to the show a second time. Thank you so much, Zach. I, I'm excited to put this on my LinkedIn resume, that, I'm, that I've returned for another jaunt with you. So this is fantastic. Thank you. Well, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to make sure to put a link in the show notes to our first interview, which may or may not be somewhat similar to the conversation that we have today. Um, I'm just going to warn you in advance and warn the audience in advance. I have absolutely no questions in front of me. I have no agenda whatsoever. This is just going to be two guys that are chatting. But we are going to have a little bit of a focus to today's conversation, and that's going to be mental health. So I'm releasing this during October, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And the reason that this came up, and this came up kind of suddenly, uh, recently you had posted a video about your Five Things web series, which had been on hiatus. And it wasn't the usual, here's this new tip or gadget or workflow or doodad or all this other stuff that I don't understand that I call you about and say, Michael, explain this to me because I'm a moron. Right. Um, (laughs) It wasn't about that. It was about something very different. So I could talk about it, but I have you here. So I want you to introduce the audience to what brought us together for this conversation in the first place. Okay. Okay. With with that, I'll I'll see if I can uh, put that into a a concise phrase. The the video I put out was kind of an update uh, to five things. Not only to discuss you know where I've been professionally, but that uh, over the past year there's been kind of an emotional and mental blocker for me doing these five things episodes. And a lot of that stems from uh, kind of chronic depression that I've had, you know, since I can remember, you know, since junior high and high school. And it's really not something that gets talked about enough, I think. And uh, after confiding in some folks in my inner circle, and uh, you kind of tend to to realize that a lot of folks have uh, the same depression or at least facets of it. But it's not something that gets talked about often. And I thought if I could be brave, I, I guess to use that phrase, and talk about this, not looking for sympathy, but as a, a, a form of awareness that perhaps others would speak out about it. And some of the things that run rampant in the tech and, and creative industry may bubble to the surface and it would be something that can start to be talked about a little bit more. Yeah, and that's that's exactly why you're here. It's all about awareness and there are very few people that are willing to speak as honestly and openly and authentically as you did in your video. And there's no question that we are going to be going deep down the rabbit hole talking about mental health and depression. And um, I don't even know where this conversation might go. I know that I've talked about this ad nauseum and uh, I joked offline before we started recording that I don't know if I can share anything else with my my audience. They've heard pretty much all of it at this point, but who knows where it's going to go. But before we go down uh, the mental health rabbit hole and talk about all of this stuff, what I want to give uh, first-time listeners that are unaware of you, I want to give them a little bit clearer picture of just what you do and what your lifestyle looks like. Because I think a lot of people listening are going to think, oh my God, that sounds a lot like me. But I want to paint a clearer picture of just what your day, your week, your month looks like. Just what does your life look like? And then once we kind of get a clear picture of who Michael Kamas is, then we can dive in a little bit deeper. Well, for the past decade or so, it's been a lot of uh, consulting with various clients around the country and especially here in LA about what they're doing with media, um, how they're 
capturing media, whether it's from a camera, whether they're getting it from a client, whether it's from a webcam, how are they storing it? How are they editing it? How are they doing VFX? What are they editing on? What kind of storage? Uh, how are they getting it out to exhibition? Uh, so anything that involves the kind of media life cycle, the, the companies I've worked for, I'd consult on. I'd consult on those workflows. And uh, the other half of the day was learning about gear because obviously there's more than one manufacturer in the industry and you have to learn more about this technology. Other times would be taken up with you know evangelism, uh, which is uh, anyone that follows me on social media knows that uh, I'm no stranger to social media. So putting things out there to engage with uh, the, the general tech and creative public on what they do uh, and what they're looking for. And then about a year ago, I pivoted and, and kind of minimized that role a little bit and went to work for a startup. And uh, that startup, which is uh, Bebop Technology, which is um, um, editing with some of your favorite creative tools in the cloud, I'm still consulting, but instead of going into an office where there's 30 or 40 other people, I'm working out of my home office. Uh, and I'm working in a different paradigm because I'm working for a manufacturer uh, rather than a consultancy or a reseller. And that's really changed what I do on a day-to-day basis in terms of how I approach it because I'm kind of isolated uh, working from home as opposed to being around people all day. It's funny because most of the people listening to this right now uh, are probably like me and they're very socially awkward introverts. And they're like, oh my God, working from home in isolation, that's my dream. <laughs> uh, but the funny thing is, I remember you and I had a conversation when we had lunch a few months ago about how you and I are so similar until we use the words introvert and extrovert. So talk to me about the challenges of working by yourself from home, given that you yourself are a little bit more extroverted than I. I tend to feed off, I don't want to say crowds, but groups of people. I, I relish the fact of being able to convey technology and ideas and concepts and new ideas uh, to folks who may not uh, have thought in that vein before. And when you're sitting in front of someone or a group of people or a crowd of people or 100 people, you can read the room. And you can determine how to change how you're phrasing things or the examples you give, the similes you use to that room. And when you work kind of uh, by yourself, you don't get that. Uh, you have to rely on, well, what was the inflection in their voice in the video conference? Or you have to rely on talking to someone over the phone, which is not always the best way of communicating. Or via email, which is the worst way of communicating. And so for an extrovert like me, that's very difficult to do. Uh, so having to be home and channel that how I act as an extrovert into being an introvert um, has had a lot of challenges over the past year. Well, it's funny. You've already triggered an idea in my mind, which is we're going to need to do a part three to talk about networking because um, I've already heard like five things that I want to talk more about and dig into. But I, uh, I'm i going to stray away from the shiny object syndrome of which I'm uh, very... I, I, I will say that is a fantastic idea. And, and of all of the education that I've seen out there regarding, you know, Avid 101 or Adobe 101 or Funnel Cut uh, Bootcamp. It's always how to learn the technical tool or uh, how to tell a story with that tool. It's never been how do you relate to people. And, and I think that uh, it's something that gets overlooked because it's not considered uh, paramount or of massive importance. And it's kind of hard to, to measure that with a metric. But if there was one course, I think that every aspiring creative should have is 
how to network, how to interact with others on a creative level or even a business level, because that's going to propel you far. Well, it's funny. You may just be talking to the guy that's in the middle of building that flagship course as we speak. Nudge, nudge, wink, Um, wink. Yeah, right. Um, But like I said, shiny object syndrome alert is going off on my computer. Um, It's uh, actually blowing out my entire monitor right now. So I'm going to make sure I don't don't go go after the shiny object. But what I do want to bring up is the fact that I find it so funny that when you're thinking, well, the best way for me to sell is going to a room of 100 or 200 people. And I'm thinking, how can I, you know, change the way that I relate to them and my body language and the stories that I tell? And I and many other people listening are thinking, oh, my God, there's a room full of 200 people and I don't know anybody and I don't know how to start a conversation and they're going to think I'm stupid and I don't know what to say. And, oh, my God, it's so much easier to just do this via email and social media. The reason I bring that up is not to go deeper uh, into the topic of networking. It is to talk more about mental health because I know that for me, the deeper I've gone down into the dark hole of depression or anxiety, it's that much harder for me to get out into the world and network with people because I have to use so much of my energy to hide it. So there are periods where I've gone through, I actually, I went through, I'm not bipolar, but I've gone through what's called a bipolar episode where I mean, it, I was basically, I was a mess. I could barely function. And I just got hired for a major TV pilot. And I'm thinking, I can't even get out of bed. I'm curled up in the fetal position for 10 hours a day. And I have to work on a massive TV pilot. How am I going to do that? I found a way to get through it. I mustered up the energy. And when I talk to people three, six, nine months later, they're like, I had no idea you were a pleasure to work with. And I thought they have no idea what it takes. So what I'm curious about, do you experience the same thing with depression or for you as being around people, something that helps as opposed to being even harder? That's a very interesting question. Uh, In the role that I have now at at, at Bebop, it's not uh, like an editor who may have to have a cut done by the end of the week or uh, this pass done or this pass done or deliverables do. A lot of it is rather nebulous. So that makes it, uh, for me at least, that much tougher because there is no, the buzzer is going to sound at five o'clock, this has to be done. It's kind of wishy-washy. And when you're depressed, it's very difficult to get the uh, self-motivation to accomplish something. So without that hard deadline, it becomes difficult to muster up enough uh, gumption. And I I hate that word, but it's tough to, to muster up the energy or desire to do that. And, you know, one of the things in kind of a tangent I I wanted to mention, mental health doesn't get talked about a lot. And I, and I was doing some serious thinking about why. And, And of course we can go back to the whole, you know, nuclear family, head of the household, 50s, 60s mentality where the man doesn't cry and the man is the breadwinner and sucks it up and goes to work every day. And if we take that out of the equation, I, I think there's several things that people who are depressed share in common with people who are, uh, shall we say, just not motivated. If you're unmotivated to do something just because that's your nature, right? You're going to watch more TV or maybe lay around more and not maybe not work later and, and just take the easy way out through things. And when you're depressed, that's what happens as well. And I think because there's that bleed over, that, that perceived, well, you're doing the same things as someone who is lazy and not depressed, that your symptoms are minimized. And I, I think what uh, I'd love folks to understand is that although there is that bleed over, 
it doesn't mean that it's not valid. Yeah, but why can't you just snap out of it, Michael? <laughs> just get a couple of good nights of sleep and you'll be fine. I just don't get what the problem is. It's it's like, uh, have you ever had a problem with maybe iron in your blood? Ever been anemic at all? I have not, no. Okay, but you're aware that if you don't have enough iron in your blood, you're anemic. Doctor gives you an iron pill, you take an iron pill. Uh, if you have hay fever, you take allergy medication, right? Uh, depression, in some sense, is, is very similar to that. Uh, you may not see that someone has low iron in their blood, but does that minimize the, what they're going through, that they may be dizzy, they may be lightheaded? No. Uh, and depression has those symptoms that sometimes aren't seen. Uh, and so I, I think once we start to normalize it as being valid, um, and that there can be a diagnosis of it, um, I think we'll start to see a lot more acceptance of it. And I think that's one good thing about uh, the social media culture we have now is that things are being normalized, things we didn't talk about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, or, or let me rephrase that, things that we didn't yell about to the general public 15, 20 years ago, we're seeing a lot more uh, activity in terms of gender equality, in terms of pay gaps, in terms of the trans movement, et cetera. And those are things that certainly were known, but they weren't really talked about on the massive scale they are like they are in social media. And I think because of that, it's getting out to the general public. And I think that's why uh, discussing depression now is a perfect time because there is this conduit to get out to uh, a larger group of people. And I think that the the important thing that I really want to extract from this that has changed so much in the last 10 years, um, and I agree with everything you're saying about how it is becoming more normalized. And uh, I think that uh, for me, and I've heard this from so many people all over the world now, I get uh, basically people send me their life stories um, and I've gotten them from six of the seven continents. So either there are no depressed people in Antarctica or there are just no editors in Antarctica <laughs> or there are no people, not sure which, maybe all three. Um, but other than that, I get the same email. It's like people copy and paste this template about the challenges they're going through and they send it to me and I get it all the time. And the commonality, I think, at least in our industry and in creative industries, is that we work a relatively solitary existence. So I know that for me, when all of this began, I was experiencing all of it by myself in a small dark room, thinking, well, everybody else has this figured out. This job can't be that hard. What's wrong with me? Why am I the weak one? I don't get why I can't keep up with everybody else. And what I realized is everybody is saying the exact same thing to themselves all over the world, not realizing there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people having the same conversation in their own mind. And I think that's one of the things that social media has really changed is allowing us to have those conversations with other people and realize, oh, it's not just me, right? So that, that's the reason that we're doing this conversation. So somebody else that might be listening, sitting in a small dark room saying, I can't take this anymore. Oh, it's not because I'm weak. It's not because it's just me. It's everybody. It's rampant. It's an epidemic. It is the rule. It's not the exception. I think creatives also tend to find themselves in their head quite a bit because, as you say, they are in a, you know, a dark box for most of the day. And as a creative, especially if you're working in a uh, multi-tiered environment like uh, a feature film or, or television, is that a majority of your day are people telling you, we don't like the way you did things. We want you to change it to the way, to the way we want things to be. And that by its very nature is telling you that your outlook 
isn't what we were looking for. And I think that the the danger that comes with uh, doing this creative work, and I this is another thing that I hear from so many of my clients, is one of the major reasons that they experience depression is they have attached their identity to their work. So it's not just, well, during the day, I'm an editor or a designer or whatever the creative job may be. That's who I am as a person. And I remember I used to think that I actually used that as like a tagline to sell myself. I don't edit for a living. I'm an editor. It's who I am, right? And I realized that's actually really, really dangerous, especially like you said, when your entire existence at your job is to have people tell you all day long, here's what you did wrong and here's why I want to change it. When you tie that to your identity, it's very easy to get depressed very quickly. One thing I should probably uh, uh, caution folks who are listening to this is that I I don't have all the answers. I'm not out of depression. I'm in depression. So, you know, whatever I say, please don't take as as gospel. But uh, I am right there. I've always joked that uh, my wife and I, uh, I, I live to work. She works to live. And she can come home and turn it off and, and, you know, be a fantastic partner. Whereas me, I do define myself by what I do and what I have accomplished, at least in the, in the professional vein. And you're right, it is dangerous because you set this bar for yourself that you're never going to amount to. You're never going to measure up because there's always something you think you should be doing or something you could be doing better or more of. And that's part of the depression spiral is that you decide not to do something because you feel so bad or so worthless. And then you get on yourself for not doing the things you think you should be doing. And then you get completely mad that you've wasted this time not doing the things you should be doing or you think you should be doing. And then you start getting into, well, I'm using the word should. And it becomes this just a horrible downward spiral. And, and after 30 years, I, I still have not found the one-way ticket out of there. My sincerest apologies for the interruption. But if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height-adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. 
To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, I'm not really sure that there is a one-way ticket. I think that that's uh, another thing that we can definitely talk about is the fact that you know, if, if it's something that you experience because, you know, something happened, an external event, and this is actually something we could talk a little bit more about if you want, and we certainly don't have to. Um, but I know that one of the things that precipitated this most recent episode for you, in addition to the fact that you had changed jobs, which I believe is on the, the top five list of, you know, most stressful things you can go through, like divorce and whatnot. And, I, and death uh, of a loved one is right up there. And that's something that you experienced all during the same period of time, but that's an external event that would cause anybody to go into some form of depression for a certain period. But what you've been talking about and what we're talking about so far is this inward type of depression where it's not because of an external event. It's this idea, and this is one of the the most, probably the most life-changing thing that I was ever taught. And I was taught this by uh, my doctor who I've been seeing for like 15 years now, who's helped me make this transformation. He said, depression is simply anger turned inward. So you're, like you said, you're just so angry at yourself for all the things that you should be able to do, that you should be doing or that you shouldn't be doing. That's a really big one. That's a vicious cycle of all the things you're doing that you know you shouldn't be. But then there's also the depression that's caused by something that's happened externally. And you experience the perfect cocktail of both over the course of the last year or year and a half. Definitely. When, when, you're, when you're diagnosed as being uh, uh, depressed, you normally, you know, at least with uh, uh, medicine here in the U.S., that you're you're put on pills, right? And then and that medication takes weeks or months to take effect. And then you have a sync up with your doctor. And does this work? No. Does this work? No. And then once you find something, hopefully you're on it. And then you gain weight, lose weight, you know, hit puberty, get married, whatever. Life changes. Uh, and then you change to different drugs. And so it's an ongoing process. So it's it's a it's a tidal wave that I kind of rode over the past twenty or thirty years, and and I found I thought was a kind of equilibrium, um, and I knew my body well enough to know okay, you know I'm grumpy today. Is it because a I'm hungry or b I'm tired or c my meds aren't working or I forgot to take them? But eighteen months ago, uh, my parents passed away, um, and it was uh, sudden. It was tragic, and uh, it was rather public, uh, the way it happened. I don't need to get into details, but um, there was press and there was court and, and all these things which, which are stressful in and of themselves. But when you're dealing with, I'm burying my parents, you know, when you're dealing with being the only child and executor of their wills and doing all these things that are already gut-wrenching, and then you have to deal with you know, uh, a press and, 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 and deal with all these, uh, uh, other external stressors that, that really shouldn't be there. And then having some of the ramifications of that passing affect your daily work. Um, and then changing jobs. I mean, it, as you said, it was a, a perfect storm and that kind of sent me down the, the kind of depression drain pipe. Uh, and that's about the time that five things, uh, went on hiatus because I just, I didn't feel my opinion mattered. I didn't feel like I had anything else to say. I didn't think that uh, I felt like I was shouting into a void. I, I felt I was lying if I got on camera and said something. And, and so it had to, kind of had to go on mute. 
And uh, unfortunately, like I said, I wish I could say that, hey, my meds are great now and I've dropped 30 pounds and I'm I'm kicking ass and taking names and I'm going to go be on American Ninja Warrior with Zach. But the, the fact is, is that uh, it's not. I'm still getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror and being like, okay, I got to do this again. Uh, and, you know, uh, every morning going to my medicine cabinet and saying, okay, I got to take these four pills and these two pills. And what do I have to do today to keep my shit together? Whether it's, you know what, I got to take a shower and do something repeatable because repeatable makes it a habit, makes it easier to do. Is it walking the dog? Is it, you know, making tea for my wife? It, it's, it's just something to keep me going one foot in front of another. The good thing is that when a lot of folks do get depressed, there's always the inevitable, well, are they suicidal? And that's obviously a very scary and very difficult conversation to have. Um, I'm very fortunate in that uh, folks taking their own lives in my family isn't something that is foreign. Uh, it's, there's been several instances in my family. So growing up, not that it was normalized, but it was something that I knew could be an end result of depression or addiction. And so I've made it a conscious effort that when I meet with doctors, whether it be a, a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a GP to say, Hey, I have this history, uh, in my family. If I'm doing things which, uh, may signal that things are going really dark, whether it's weight gain, whether it's I look bad, whether I'm asking for more prescription drugs, you know, I'm giving you a heads up to be my kind of watch guard, you know, uh, my, uh, to, to, to kind of check and see if things are going okay. Um, and because of that, you know, the whole, the whole suicide thing has never been a, I've never gone that dark. Yeah, I'm, and I'm uh, probably in a similar camp as you, not so much with the, the family history. Um, but if we're going to, you know, if we're just going to be honest and, you know, really jump right in and, uh, you know, peel off the veneer, um, if we're talking about the, the suicide conversation, um, I've never been at the point where I've done any planning. Um, but there was a point that I hit, I don't know, in one of my first major episodes in my mid-20s where the only thought that went through my mind was, I don't want to live another day. I can't do this anymore. Never got to the point where I acted on it. But those that was the only relevant thought in my mind from the moment that I barely woke up every morning to every waking hour where I barely function was, I'm done. Just can I do this anymore? I have no passion for any of the people in my life. I have no passion for my craft. The a story that I've told in the past and I've written about as well, so I won't go too deep into it, but kind of the inciting incident that made me realize that there was a real problem was I spent, I think, probably a month and a half straight on the couch for 14 hours a day watching reruns of Law & Order Special Victims Unit. That alone can make any person suicidal, whether they have mental health issues or not. And you probably didn't even get through every episode, too. No, I, I probably hit like season seven. Um, <laughs> and for, keep in mind, this was before streaming. So I was doing this with whatever was on the USA Network at the time. Um, so there was no like organized way of doing it back then. Um, but I remember at one point uh, I had just moved in with my girlfriend and how she's still with me to this day after this, I don't know. Um, but she said, can you take out the trash? And I lost it because the thought in my mind of having to take out the trash, go outside, go down three flights of steps, possibly see a human being and prioritize that with all of the other things going on in my life, i.e. watching special victims unit was too much for me to handle. That's how overwhelmed my nervous system was. And all I kept thinking was I'm done. I can't do it anymore, but I've never planned. 
But the one of the interesting things is I hit that same place about see about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now. Um, and this is something that when people do the math, they're like, wait a second. I thought this was something that happened to you a long time ago and you're Mr. Recovery and you're the poster child for, like you said, American Ninja Warrior and health and all this. You're never somebody that deals with depression that's recovered. You're always recovering. It's no different than an alcoholic. An alcoholic- Depression doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's, it's, it's always there. You just learn how to manage it at certain degrees. And I've learned how to manage mine at a very high degree. But two and a half years ago, I was lying in the fetal position in my bed thinking, oh my God, my family would be so much better off if I were not alive. Completely. And, and uh, like I said, I wasn't at that point, but, but the reason I can identify with that is because um, it's not that I want to die. It's that I feel like garbage and I don't want to feel like garbage anymore. So it, so it, there, there is a distinction there. What is a way for me to not feel this way? Well, I can drink myself into oblivion. I can you know, uh, do hardcore drugs or so I'm just numbed out. And I think that's why a lot of people who are depressed turn to addictive substances because it's anything you can do to not feel like you have been feeling. You need a new normal and no other way has, has fixed that. In fact, I got a good story for you. So as you know, here in California, marijuana has become just ubiquitous, right? It's, it's legal. You can get CBD, THC, whatever. You know, over the course of my life, I've, you know, smoked, I don't know, a dozen times or so. It's never been something that did anything for me. I'd much rather drink. So when I uh, left my last job and about a year ago, and this was going down and it was now legal, I thought, you know what? Everyone's pontificating about CBD being a new miracle drug. So I got a vape pen. Uh, this is before they started you know, causing vape lung. I got a vape pen and I started experimenting. And what was hysterical is that any illusion that I may have portrayed to someone that I'm cool this story will blow it away because what I started doing was measuring how long I was inhaling and how much I, because, and, and because you know me and being an engineer and being analytical, I was annotating all this because I was struggling to find a mix of uh, vape or edible and CBD versus THC and what kind and what manufacturer, what times of the day and how much I had eaten. And because I wanted to, I needed to find something to not, feel the way I was and something that I could do without, you know, wrecking my liver on, on drinking, uh, or, or, you know, doing, uh, you know, worse drugs. So any kind of, any kind of enjoyment from, from the marijuana, from the, from the vape pen got completely lost because I, cause for about four months, that's all I did was try and find some way to not feel bad with weed and it didn't work. <laughs> so, so, so basically you have it, you have like a, a vaping spreadsheet. I do. I wow. do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. And I would go to different dispensaries around, uh, around where I live and this is going to be so mean, but I would find the oldest person there because I had so many instances where I'd be talking to someone who was very young and knew just as little as I did and <laughs> didn't know a thing. And I'd go into each of these dispensaries and say, look, this is the kind of pen I have. I need a cartridge. I need something that's a little bit more than this, a little bit less than that. I need something that has a little bit more uh, CBD than THC. Uh, and it just, it didn't work. It, be, it became an expensive habit that didn't solve a thing. 
And I actually found that it made things worse, at least with my body chemistry. If I were to smoke a lot the next day, I felt even worse than I would have if I hadn't smoked. Yeah, I'm right there with you as well. I, uh, I didn't, I've certainly didn't experiment at that level. And I think I've maybe only smoked, I don't know, four or five times. Um, but it was enough for me to realize that it did not work with my chemistry. And the, the experience, you know, immediately while I was doing it, sure, you know, like most other people, you know, maybe feel a little bit less anxious, a little bit more open. I laughed a little bit. And then the next week, it was just Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was a hangover. It's all, oh it was almost God. like a hangover. Yeah. Oh, I would have I would have taken an alcohol hangover any day <laughs> over what I got from smoking. So it for me, that's just a no-no. It's that's the way that I'm genetically wired. But I, I one of the things that I want to go a little bit deeper on, and I think this is really important for anybody that's dealing with mental health issues and a lot of other issues uh, for that matter. Um, but specifically with mental health issues, like you mentioned, it's all about how do I just get away from the way that I feel right now. And it's trying to escape that feeling of whether it's physical pain or emotional pain or lack of any feeling whatsoever. That's another thing that I would experience where I just didn't feel a thing. Happy, sad, nothing. It was like, am I even alive? I didn't even know what it felt like to be alive. I just felt like a zombie. And you try to do anything to change that state. But a lot of times it's about trying to step away from whatever that pain is. And what I found is that the best way to alleviate it was going towards it. And the way that I went towards it was through therapy. And this is something that I've talked about extensively. I can put a, a link in the show notes to the psychoanalyst that I worked with that really kind of helped me unpack this. But you had mentioned therapy as well. So is that something that you've uh, kind of had as part of this regimen for the last couple of years? I'm going to go off on a little bit of a, a soapbox because I've had uh, therapy when I was when I was younger, uh, you know, in my twenties. But uh, since I've been to California, I've had nothing but nightmares, and and a lot of this is because of the the division between uh, your psychiatrists and your uh, psychologists or therapists. Right, you have the psychiatrists who are the ones that are writing the scripts, and the ones that I've seen are treat them and treat them. Mm -hmm. where you tend to walk in and they make sure you're not looking for a drug. You know, they give you five minutes of time, maybe 10 minutes, they write you a prescription. Done. Okay, but let's get to the bottom of why you need these drugs. You go see a therapist uh, or a psychologist and they could be trained by any number of witch doctors or actually medical doctors, but they don't have the power to prescribe. And I find that having this division where they're not working in tandem, it's hard to determine, is the prescription working right? Let's talk, let's talk in therapy about X, Y, and Z, what happened when you were younger, what happened last week. And when, those, when the talking about it and the prescriptions, when those aren't in sync, it's a shot in the dark. And uh, in the past year, I've had four different psychologists and all of them have been they would cancel three sessions in a row uh, for random reasons. Just this week, I went to go see one. And I went to go see a, a psychiatrist that writes me the scripts. And, oh, she left the practice. She's no longer practicing. No heads up, no nothing. And so I find that it's been nothing but a nightmare here. And, and, and also with the, the, the medical system the, the here in the U.S. is that when you need to see a doctor, again, here in California, if I want to find someone, A, I have to look for them online, B, I have to give them a call and see if they're accepting new clients, which most aren't, and then there's a wait list for weeks or sometimes, you know, even longer. 
So I've had nothing but bad luck finding a combination of uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. And so while in my mind, I want to believe that therapy is still a good option, I've had nothing but bad luck over the past couple of years. And, and uh, I would welcome <laughs> recommendations. Well, then uh, you, my friend, are talking to the right person. And I'm so glad that you brought this up. And this is why I didn't have an agenda or have questions because I had no idea where this conversation would go. I cannot stress enough how much I agree with this idea of both of these ideas working as one. Because yes, with the Western American medical system, it's essentially, well, let's find out what the symptom is, and here's what treats the symptom. The symptom is you're depressed. Here's a pill that helps to treat that symptom of depression and make you feel a little bit better. But most likely, that person isn't saying, hmm, what's contributing to the depression? What is the source of the depression? It's just, well, let's alleviate the symptom. Let's take this acute pain, whatever you're experiencing right now, let's change that state for you. And let's make sure periodically that the pill is doing what it's supposed to do to alleviate that symptom. That's because that's easy. And that also makes billions of dollars. So why in the world would you change that? But then, like you said, on the flip side, when you have the people that can really kind of dig into your mind and understand psychology, they don't have the power to say, well, you know what? It seems like you're in a pretty dark place right now. It doesn't seem like just talking about those experiences in your past are making that much of a difference, but there's really nothing else I can do because I don't have the power to add medication into the mix. Or they even say, yes, you should go see a, psychi uh, a psychiatrist, and I don't know anything about those drugs, so you have to talk to them about it. There's a, almost a conscious uh, dividing line. And, and to bring this back to creatives, I'm sure you've met some video editors, uh, some film editors who don't touch sound, right? They do the bare minimum with sound because they don't want to get involved. That's something else. And that's almost how I'm seeing this paradigm, which is, this is what I know. I'm good with talking about trauma when you, when you were younger or abuse or something along those lines. But when it comes to drugs, well, that's a different department. You got to go down the hall for that. And there's just this line in the sand. And unfortunately, it makes treating uh, mental illness very difficult. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, we're definitely going to have to have an offline conversation after this because I have several recommendations that I could give you. Uh, but even on the record during this conversation, for anybody that's listening, having the same struggle without going too deep into specifics and details and contact information and all that other stuff. But I was lucky enough to find this combination when I first began this journey 15 years ago and have been working with a team of people where they do exactly what you're looking for, where you have the medical doctor that understands prescription medication that has a really deep background in chemistry. He even formulates his own medications and supplements. So he really understands chemistry. But in his mind, you treat the patient, you don't treat the symptom. So let's figure out where all of this is coming from. And the approach with me was, all right, you're clearly in a really bad place. We need to take the edge off if we're going to be able to do any real work because you're not going to be willing or have the energy or the gumption, so to speak, because I know you love the word gumption. You're not going to have the, the motivation to make these changes if we don't chemically start to rebalance your brain. But beyond that, we're only going to use that for a short enough period of time 
where we can understand what are the lifestyles, what are the behaviors, what is the psychology that led you to this place? And they specialize in, all right, we have the medical doctor, we have the psychologist, everybody's talking to each other. They also have other specialties that can help you with all these various areas, but without having all of them work in tandem, like you said, it's just all of these walled off corridors of people that are saying, well, this is the way that I look at it, right? So it's this idea of if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. We need a post-supervisor for mental health. Exactly. It's funny (laughs) because the the place that I've worked with for the last 15 years, that's a really good analogy. That's essentially what they do. Um, I'll put a link to to this place. It's called the Akasha Center. There are a lot more clinics like this now, but 15 years ago when it opened, it was one of the first of its kind, um, even in California, I think. But it's it's something called integrative medicine. So another thing that I can put uh, in the show notes is a link to the tag that I have on my website for all of my integrative medicine resources. And for anybody thinking, oh, my God, he's going to cure depression with incense and sage. It's a bunch (laughs) of California hippy-dippy bullshit, right? It's not. It really – it starts with the Western medical side, but it infuses lifestyle over treating symptoms. And that's the reason that I'm able to do what I am today. Otherwise, I would probably still be in a, you know, a a drunken, drugged up stupor because somebody said, well, the pills seem to be working. So I guess I'll just keep giving them to you. And the the fundamental question that was always asked that was different than the, the regular traditional Western medical system is, all right, you're feeling better. Now, how can we keep you here without the medication? And that's a paradigm shift. It's like, wow, I never would have thought to ask that, but- how can I feel this way or even better, but without the medication? And that was all about lifestyle. And that's a lot of the stuff that I teach is what I've been doing over the last 15 years to improve my lifestyle and my health, not just because I want to be healthy or I want to look good or I want to have energy or I want to be an American Ninja Warrior. It's because American Ninja Warrior is my antidepressant. Sorry, I'm thinking that over. (laughs) <laughs> it's and, it, and, it's well, a big I, paradigm shift. It 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 completely is. Uh and I'm I'm trying to think what is my antidepressant and I I realize that uh uh aside from uh, the 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 prescription drugs I really don't have one. And one thing that I want to make very very clear to you and the entire listening audience of all 14 of you that are out there Um, I'm not saying medication or antidepressants are bad and you shouldn't take them. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that for some people, there are alternatives. And for a long time, I didn't think there was an alternative for me. So like uh, you were talking about, I was on the roller coaster for, I think it was about 12 years where I would go on a medication and I'd been through, I don't know, five or six different antidepressants. They would work well for a while, then they would start not working so well, then they would work really well, and then they wouldn't work at all. And then I would have a depressive episode. And um, what I found is like you you were talking about, um, you know, trying to find something to help change that state. And one thing that I find is often linked, and it's not just me finding it, it's in a lot of the research, that a lot of people that deal with depressive symptoms also uh, have addictive personalities. So you were saying that for you, alcohol is one of those things that helps change that state. My addiction was, and it's still something I'm working on, but it very much was work. So I was a workaholic. That was the thing that helped change the state because of what you said going back to it earlier I needed the deadlines and I needed the adrenaline to not just feel like a completely useless lump that couldn't accomplish anything. So for me, that was the addiction. 
but I would go in and out for years through these cycles of different medications. But when it was posed to me, let's see if there's an alternative. That's when my mind really started to think, hmm, how could I do this, right? Um, so I want to make it very clear to people, this isn't about, oh, medication is bad. And I'm not, you know, Tom Cruise yelling at Brooke Shields saying, just take vitamin C and you won't be depressed. Like I don't, it's, it's not about any of that bullshit. However, there can be a paradigm shift in the way that we think as a society where the pills are absolutely useful in certain use cases, but to chronically take them because we don't want to do some of the harder introspection and work that we can do to change lifestyles, that I think is a shame and one of the things that I really disdain about our medical system the most. I can't disagree. <laughs> I often wish I, I had the insight that you have now uh, regarding these things. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, there's a big difference uh, between the, you know, knowing the path and walking the path, right? I mean, you can read uh, the show notes from today and, and, and maybe the transcript, but until I think you, you experience it and you walk in those shoes and, and you come to that realization that just popping a pill isn't solving the underlying issue of there being trauma when you were younger or, you know, uh, or something else that happened when you, when, uh, you know, in previous incarnations, um, until you really believe that, uh, I don't think anything is really going to take. It's almost like hitting that rock bottom where you have that realization of, I need help. Um, and uh, that either comes with addiction or it comes, I think, with mental health. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core 360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Exactly. Yes. Um, and uh, it's funny that you said it's, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And I think the first step to making that transition is really knowing the path. And what I find with so many people that I work with, and I now specialize in helping them design the path away from wherever they don't want to be to the place that they do want to be. And when it comes to lifestyle and mental health and lack of work-life balance, this is an area that I've spent um, helping a lot of people with now. 
And I think that when it comes specifically to mental health and depression, and I'm speaking to a lot of people, but I'm also speaking kind of just to you right now. So I'm almost kind of thinking of this like a, a mini coaching call, so to speak. Um, I think the first step in being able to answer the question, is there an alternative to the medication, is understanding yourself and your genetics. Because it's one thing for me to say, well, American Ninja Warrior is my antidepressant, but the reason that I know that works is because I understand my genetic makeup. And that's another thing that has changed so much in the last 10 or 15 years, where it used to be, well, I'm depressed. Well, but am I depressed or am I sad or am I just having a bad day or do I need to get a couple of nights of sleep or whatever it is versus no, I'm genetically wired for depression. You could say to somebody, well, yeah, I'm type one diabetic and nobody's going to say, oh, well, just sleep it off, right? That would be stupid. Just like the iron deficiency in allergies. Just like the yeah. iron deficiency, like that, that's the perfect analogy. So nobody says, well, you know, you don't need insulin for type one diabetes. You just need to get some sleep and snap out of it, right? right. Nobody says that. But the thing with depression is you can now measure it. You can measure your neurotransmitters, which you could not do 15 years ago. And you can get your genetics tested to know if you are genetically predisposed to depression and or anxiety. I wasn't aware of that. Yes. And that's why I'm bringing it up because it sounds like there's a whole rabbit hole that you can go down just to learn more about yourself to know what the alternatives are. Because you may look at your genetic makeup and be like, wow, based on all of the information in my genetics, I'm probably going to need medication for the rest of my life. No different than if you found out I'm type 1 diabetic and I don't produce insulin. But then the alternative is you see the genetic test and they say, I can see that you're predisposed to depression for this reason, this reason, and that reason. However, through the following lifestyle changes, you can overcome these areas and you can do it without the medication. So that's why I don't know which is the right answer because I don't understand the way that you're built. The point is that we can now actually dig in and we can learn these things about ourselves and we can make the determination. So, and it's fun. I actually went into uh, this whole conversation about my genetic report. I have a whole podcast about this. So if, uh, once again, I'll throw that in the show notes. So these are going to become quite robust show notes. I wasn't planning <laughs> on that. Um, but for somebody that's saying, wait a second, I don't have to take the pill and I can learn if that's something I can overcome. You can do that by taking a genetic test where you literally just spit into a little tube, put it in the mail, and you've got to report in a couple of weeks. Um, and it's actually really inexpensive. I think it's like maybe hundred, couple hundred bucks. And this isn't um, like 23andMe, right? This is something completely different. No, no. 23andMe is one of the companies that provides the genetic code. Mm -hmm. The company that interprets it and gives you the results is not 23andMe. Okay. So you can go through 23andMe or Ancestry.com, um, and I've, I've done 23andMe myself, and I've had my son go through Ancestry.com, and I've gotten both of our genetic results. And then you go through another company. It's called Strategene, uh, and the owner of the company that developed all this technology is the one that I did the podcast with. But they interpret all that genetic data because if you do 23andMe and you go download data, it's hundreds of pages of zeros and ones. It's basically like reading the matrix. It's nonsense. But they have some database that they run it through, and then they spit out what also kind of looks like nonsense, but it's a little bit more interpreted, essentially, for a medical professional. And then the medical professional sits down with you and says, all right, so I can see that you're not methylating certain compounds correctly. So an example for me would be that I need a higher than normal amount of leafy greens because my body doesn't produce enough of whatever the, the chemicals and the folates are and whatnot uh, to be able to, to properly process certain foods. So I know that if I don't eat enough leafy greens, that's one of the things that predisposes me to lack of energy, which then leads to depression. 
Another thing that I learned about myself, which to me was like being handed the keys to the universe, is that every human being is designed so that we detoxify our body and our brains while we sleep. I don't detoxify nearly as well as other people. So I can never figure out why I could never do an all-nighter, why I could never keep up with other people, and especially in our industry where we all wear sleep deprivation badges of honor on our sleeves, like, oh, I worked a 20-hour day yesterday. I can't do that. If I don't get at least seven or eight hours of sleep, I'm useless for like a week. But I found out that genetically, that's also the way that I'm wired. So once I found all of these lifestyle imbalances that were symptoms of my genetics, once I plugged those holes, I became a completely different person. So that's why I gravitated towards all of the exercise and the lifestyle that I'm doing. I said, I need something that's going to be the glue that holds all this together. I know, what if I choose a really crazy, stupid goal that would inspire me that causes all these lifestyle changes? So that's why when I say American Ninja Warrior is my antidepressant, that's not a euphemism. That's the honest God's truth. And because I do all of the physical activity and I eat well and do all these other lifestyle changes, I don't need antidepressants anymore. But that's because I know my genetic makeup. So that would be the first step for you is figuring out what do my genetics tell me? And then you can figure out, well, it seems like I could make this change, that change, or that change based on my genetic code. Maybe the antidepressants can either be something I can lessen or eliminate altogether. But again, full massive disclaimer, not a medical doctor whatsoever. Um, I just edit them on TV occasionally. <laughs> well, I, I, please let me know where to send the check for the for the free coaching I just got. Yeah, well, no, uh, <laughs> no check necessary. This is me repaying the favor for the 15 million times I've called you and said, I don't understand how to make this codec work or how to build this workflow. Like I'm I'm a storyteller, but I'm definitely not one of those that uh, that understands all the, the various tech side of things. But you got to have both if you're ever going to get content into the world. So this is just me uh, trying to return the favor. You know, it, one other thing I did want to bring up um, is that, uh, and I honestly expected uh, you to ask me this, was why would I just talk about this now, right? Well, you know, why now? And I, I, I know I mentioned, you know, it's becoming more uh, prevalent on social media. I finally have come to a place in my life where there is always area to grow and to uh, accumulate or get to a higher place of stature. But uh, I realized when I left my last job and I put the feelers out there to get a job that there were offers. There, there was professional interest. And that kind of, uh, in retrospect, has given me the confidence to say that, well, I've obviously people don't think I'm an idiot. And if they're willing to hire me just on that, then perhaps I can start talking about these things that are taboo because obviously I've gotten to a place in my career where I'm still hireable. And when, when I kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel and I started getting a little bit better, it kind of, I almost felt like I owed it to the world to put this out there to let other people know that they're not alone. There are others out there that go through the same thing and, and others that understand that you're not just lazy. You have some shit going on. You've got some chemicals that are not right and that uh, there are things that can be done and other people that understand that. And I felt that because I uh, am privileged enough to be at the position I am now in my career, that sharing that was the only thing that could be done to give folks who didn't have that confidence 
uh, when they were younger, if I could somehow help them with that. Uh, that was the least I could do. Well, and I applaud you for that because there's no reason that you need to do that, right? Um, that was just something you felt compelled to do. And I hear this story so many times, the more that I research people that uh, have really accomplished great things, they all came from a place of hitting rock bottom. They got out of rock bottom and they realized other people have to know how I did this. It's like this weird compulsion that we have as human beings, that when we're in the shit and we get out of it, we want to tell other people how to get out of the shit too. Um, and I, hell, I've built an entire business around that model, right? <laughs> um, and a lot of people have. Like it's a really, really common story, um, but it takes courage to do that. Um, and you're clearly not doing it because it's part of your business model or you're going to you know, no. get X number of sales you because know what, of what, what, what kind of – you know. It, I don't think many positive things professionally can come about from talking publicly about things that disrupt your brain chemistry, right? That's usually a red flag to employers. Uh, but uh, again, this, this felt heavier uh, to me than what a paycheck was. Also, I don't know how many uh, of your listeners, uh, again, uh, in terms of age brackets, but I know that when I was in high school, I know that when I was first experiencing uh, a depression, it got negative attention. Uh, you know, when you're in high school and you're uh, starting to date uh, or, you know, getting long lasting friendships and dealing with the prospect of becoming an adult and going to college, a lot of life changing or, or at least very uh, important things in life are happening at that point. And it becomes a, a very uh, pivotal moment. And me, when I was depressed, and this manifested with me wearing my heart on my, on my sleeve, uh, that got negative attention. And that quickly became a, oh, this isn't something I should talk about. This isn't something I should share. Uh, people think less of you. People aren't going to talk to you or invite you to things. And I think, unfortunately, I carried that with me for many years. And if there are folks younger than me who are, are listening to the podcast and, and maybe carrying some of that you know, negative feedback they got when they were younger, it's wrong. <laughs> it, it, it's wrong to think that this is wrong to talk about. It's wrong to think that this is just you. It's something that many people go through and many people just don't talk about and, and don't fall into the same trap I did where you bury it down and it becomes something you keep in your shoe and you constantly smash it down because one day it's going to eat you. And when it does, I, I don't want anyone to go down the rabbit hole I have or even worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't have all the answers and I can't tell anybody listening how they can get out of depression or how they can improve it. It's going to be different for everybody. But I feel pretty confident telling every single listener that not talking about it, not doing anything about it and burying all of it and ignoring it, that's not going to help. I'm no. pretty confident about that diagnosis. And uh, going back to what you said about this idea of, just being afraid of putting it out there and it bringing negative attention. Um, that's, it's funny because that's actually one of the major instigators of the first major depression that I went through. And it actually destroyed the most important and formational relationship that I had in my entire life. Because all I heard from this person was, what's wrong with you? Why are you grumpy all the time? Why can't you just cheer up? Why can't you just get some sleep and get over it? And because there was a complete lack of understanding and any form of sympathy or, I mean, certainly no empathy, but there wasn't even any sympathy or understanding of the fact that this was real, 
it destroyed the most important relationship in my life. And yeah, I also for years thought, well, I can't tell anybody about this because what if that happens again, right? What does it say about me? Like I'm, I accept the fact that I'm going through this now, but other people aren't going to accept it and they're going to see it as weakness. And I think that that's a really important thing that we still need to talk about here. And I know that we're, uh, we're going a little bit over, but I think that's one of the biggest fears that people have in our industry. And I'm sure in many other industries, but I hear about this fear all the time of I'm dealing with mental health. I'm having a really hard time just making it through the day, but I can't tell anybody because if I do, I'm going to get fired and nobody's ever going to hire me on a show again. You're completely right. And, and although I can't speak as a full-time creative in that uh, vein, because it's been many years since I've uh, been in the chair, um, a majority of business decisions, a majority of, of directions that companies take, a lot of that, although maybe based in part by meetings in the boardroom, is based on one-on-one -on -one conversations. And if there isn't the confidence that you can carry out the job you are hired for or lead the team that you were put in charge of or have a clear view or be present for these things, that can seriously submarine your job. And then when you go to find another job, people are talking behind your back because this industry is small. So the last place you worked at is talking to the place that you want to work at. So I completely get the fact that um, coming out and talking about this can be uh, uh, perceived as being detrimental. Uh, and I'm hopeful that the dialogue about this will continue. So uh, folks who are coming into places of management and of prominence in the industry are not uh, shocked by it, are, are aware that this is a thing. So when it does happen at their company, uh, and it does happen to their employees, they're more equipped to handle it than to just say, this person's bullshit, they're damaged goods, I don't want to deal with them, and I'm going to uh, probably make fun of them behind their back when they call for a reference. And I think that one of the, the biggest keys that people need to understand about this, um, and you're talking about this idea of, you know, like work uh, work performance, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody that deals with depression on a regular basis and you just can't do your job, you can't show up on time, you can't deliver what's promised – they have every right to decide that they want to go a different direction because they're hiring you to do a specific job. Now, that doesn't mean that they should just say, well, this person is damaged goods. They're always depressed. Like, I don't want to deal with depressed people. What I have found is that people that deal with either depression or anxiety or ADD or whatever it might be, they get caught in this place where they know that they have this and it's causing job performance issues, but they're not really sure if they're using it as an excuse or not. And the transformation that I've seen happen more than once, and this even happened with me, is that do you want to go around telling everybody in your first day of work or in your job interview, oh, by the way, I deal with chronic depression, right? I'm just going to walk in here some days and I'm going to have no energy whatsoever and I'm not going to want to be here and I'm going to be putting on a fake facade. Clearly, you don't want to have that conversation. But I found that if you take responsibility for whatever you're dealing with and you own it, and you don't necessarily spread it around to everybody, but you're open and authentic about it. People are so much more receptive to that. And then they understand you and your behaviors better. And they're more than willing to help you and be empathetic if you can still do your job. But you have to take responsibility for it and not use it as an excuse. Oh, well, nobody ever hires me. It's, and it's, all, all, it's just because I'm depressed. It's, it's discrimination. 
And for the most part, it's people not owning whatever it is and take responsibility for it and using it as an excuse. I think you're right on the money. Well, I've, I've seen it over and over and over again. And uh, I guess I, the, the reason that I say that and the reason I think it's so important is that if somebody is listening, to, if for, for those that have already reached out to me, I've heard this many times. And for those that haven't, feel free to reach out. But if you're terrified of saying anything to anybody because you think you're going to be blacklisted or you're never going to be hired again – I will bet dollars to donuts, and very rarely do I talk about donuts on this show, but in this case, I'm going to. I will bet dollars to donuts that that person that you might think about telling is probably going through the same thing that you are because all of us are in this industry. It is rampant. It is an epidemic. So again, kind of going back to this theme of the conversation and why we're having it is to spread awareness and make people realize that it isn't just you. So on that note of awareness and talking about our stories and helping others to come out and talk about their stories. Cannot thank you enough for being willing to be so candid and be so honest, because as we've already said, this is a conversation that needs to happen more in our industry. So I really, really appreciate the fact that you decided to, to come on the mic with me tonight and, and share all of this with everybody listening. Well, I, I appreciate the pulpit from which to pontificate. It's still something, obviously, uh, I'm fighting through. It's something that I'm still learning to deal with on a day-to-day basis and, and how uh, a new job and body chemistry and, and, and things all play into this. And uh, uh, it's something that is ongoing. And uh, if we can spread awareness that this uh, is a common thing and that it is a constant fight and not a light switch that you just turn on or turn off, uh, I think the world would be a, a much better place Uh, to deal with kind of mental health issues. Couldn't agree more. So on that note, if somebody listening today is inspired to talk to you either more about mental health or because they can't figure out how the hell codecs work and they want to figure out better workflows and they want to work remotely from the cloud and all this other crazy, fancy, new age, amazing stuff that you're doing, how do people find you? You can pretty much type my name into Google and find all my social media stuff. Uh, It's Michael Kamis, K-A-M-M-E-S and uh, michaelkamis.com, fivethingsseries.com or on any of the social platforms, just type in at Michael Kamis and I'll pop up. Cannot recommend enough to anybody that wants to learn more about workflows, technology, there is only one guy that I recommend and you are that guy that I recommend to everybody. Thank um, you so much, Zach. And, and now they can talk to you about mental health as well. So how about that? <laughs> and and if, if nothing else, I can buy a good drama scotch. There you go. Nice. Uh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.